Thanks, Stu. Stu Reeson, glad to have you and your family with us over these past uh, number of months, probably a year. And good morning, everyone. Good to be here today. Good to have you here today uh, on a long weekend. I know some of our people are traveling and uh, visiting in other spots, but uh, other guests are here. And if you're a guest this morning, uh, really a delight to, to have you in our midst today. I want to invite you to open both your heart and your mind uh, to the wonderful text uh, that's in front of us that Stu just read. Uh, I was reminded of the story of a, of a college drama class that didn't have much of a budget to put on their play. So they purchased only a few scripts of a drama and then they cut them up into separate parts. And the director handed out the parts and then started to rehearse the play. Well, just nothing went right. So this person had this part and this person had this part and they didn't quite know when to, to pitch in. After an hour of pure frustration, everybody threw up their hands and said, we quit. And the director pulled everybody together and said, let's just stop and I'm going to read the entire play to you. So he read the entire script aloud and when he was finished, one of the actors said, oh, I get it. So that's what it was about. They needed somehow to see the big picture, the whole story, so they could fit all the parts together and bring the drama to life. So when you read the next section in 1 John chapter 4, you say, so that's what it was all about. God is showing us what he has in mind in terms of the great plan for humanity and salvation. So let's ask God to help us see it again today. Lord, would you? Would you come? Would you presence yourself in our midst today in a very powerful way? Your word says where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are. God, we're here this morning because we want to grow and be transformed we admit our weaknesses, we admit our challenges, but Lord, in spite of that, we want to grow. So we're open to hear you today, and may we just be transformed a little bit more today because we've opened ourselves to you, in Jesus' name, amen. We started uh, tracing a bit of a roadmap last Sunday as we considered the origin uh, of love, or the source of love. Uh, being God himself. It all starts with him. It all starts with God because the very nature of the God that we have come to know is love. And so that is the theological foundation that undergirds our journey. And the theology is that God himself is love. It is not love is God, as we talked about last week, because that can get you off on a wrong tangent. No, it starts with God, and it recognizes Him as the source. All the love that has come into the world originates with God. Then secondly, we observe the demonstration of love, and we reminded ourselves that real love is far different than what is defined by our culture today. It is not a sexual love. It is not a selfish love. But rather, it's a giving love. It is not words, but action. There's a demonstration. God didn't just open the windows of heaven and call out, I love you, and close the window 
and that was the end of it. No. He saw us in our need, and he opened the door of heaven. And he walked out of heaven, and he came to us, was born as a baby, the incarnate Son of God, and he went all the way to the cross, and he gave his life so that we might have eternal life through him. Demonstration of his love. Let me add a third piece to the roadmap, which helps us say, oh, so that's what it was all about. The implications of his love. And it's right here in verse 11 and following. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love, listen to this, is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. So those words, since God loved us that much, signal that some implications are about to come. They're about to be unraveled here. Uh, since God loved us this much, as we say to our kids, not just with words, but with demonstration, with the sending of his son to us, the implications are that we're to keep it going. We're to keep it flowing. We're to keep the love flowing. We surely ought to love each other. There's some neat books written on the afterlife, experiences that people have had. Some of you have read the book, I'm sure, Heaven is for Real. Um, the true story of a, of a four-year-old son of a small town Nebraska pastor, uh, this little boy who experienced heaven during emergency surgery. And in the way that he relates it to his parents and then they write it, he talks about looking down to see the doctor operating and his dad praying in the waiting room. Uh, and you and I know that we need to be a little bit cautious when we hear stories about people dying and going to heaven and seeing loved ones and, and then they're miraculous, miraculously brought back. And we just need wisdom in interpreting all of that. But I do love this little book, Heaven is for Real. And we can allow it to be a blessing in our lives uh, with the note that we are to be balanced in this. But look at verse 12, because verse 12 tells us that no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. Now, people say, I would love to see God. I would like to see God. No, you wouldn't. Believe me, you wouldn't. You couldn't handle it in the flesh. Your circuits couldn't handle it. You would be done. Really. God is spirit. But he is powerful. Remember when Jesus came to this earth, it says that he gave up his divine privileges? I expect that that probably meant his splendor, his majesty, his brilliance, his overpowering glory. Because otherwise, he would have blown the human circuit. He took the human humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. Loose translation, he geared down a lot in order to come among us. I don't think that's good theological jargon, but I see our professors aren't with us this morning from Taylor, so I'll just get away with that. But the point is made. And haven't you ever wondered why God 
doesn't become more demonstrative here on earth? Why doesn't he show himself to people, to skeptics, to make them believe? I'd like to say, oh, you don't believe me? Well, here's God. <laughs> and boom, crash, and God makes the convincing argument. No, but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God has another plan. Since we cannot see God who is spirit, God has another plan. He has chosen to abide in us and change us to be like his son. Still there? He has chosen to abide in us and change us to be like his son. God is saying to a generation of people on planet earth, you can't see me, but you actually can through the lives of people, my people. John writes, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. We become the message for the living, loving God. You know, people come to Christ because somebody has been loving them. Somebody was different. Somebody cared. People can't see God, but they can see us. You know, and when I think of that, I suddenly, I suddenly feel a whole new sense of responsibility to be the loving hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Because the world is watching. Do they see someone who is different? Do they see someone who is patient to come alongside of the person who can't keep up? Whether that's in education, and I won't just charge ahead, but I'll help you. Whether that's in actually physically running, I won't charge down and just wait for you way down here. I'll, I'll, I'll stay with you. Do they find a heart of compassion for those who are disabled in body? And for those who are disabled in spirit, is there a sensitivity to the broken in heart? Do they see someone who is loving enough to ask for forgiveness when wrong has been done? Listen about that situation the other day. I was way out of line. I spoke so rashly. I spoke so, so quickly. But I was out of place. And the things I said, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I mean, that's the kind of love that really registers with people. So the, the, the implications of the theological statement that God is love and the implications of the demonstration of God's love is this, that God wants to abide in us. He wants to live in us so that the world may see him through us. God is not satisfied to simply tell us that he loves us. In fact, he's not satisfied to demonstrate to us that he loves us, not just that, but he actually wants to live in us. Imagine that, that God really wants to live in me, and he wants to live in you, and he wants to do the things that he wants to do through your life. Are you willing to say, and of course because I know so many of you, I know you are, are you willing to say, God, live in me, God, live in me, live in me. Take every square inch you require of my life because it's all yours. Abide in me. You know, it's interesting to, to, to trace God's dwelling places. 
as outlined in the Bible. In the beginning, in the very beginning, God had fellowship with man and woman in the Garden of Eden in a very personal, direct way in the Garden. But you remember that sin broke that fellowship. And uh, then after that, we notice that the words that God walked with men and women of old, that he walked with Enoch, that he actually walked with, with Abraham. And by the time of the Exodus, God's command to Israel was to make him a sanctuary that he could dwell among his people. And the first of those sanctuaries was the tabernacle out in the wilderness. Remember the story? And God, and when Moses dedicated it, the glory of God came down and moved into the tent. And God dwelt in the tent. But you remember he did not dwell in the bodies of the individual Israelites. And then you recall that Solomon built God a magnificent temple. And when the temple was dedicated, the glory of God came to dwell there. And then we move through history and Christ came into our world. It says the Word became flesh. And as John the writer says, He tabernacled among us. And we have beheld His glory And it just keeps getting better and better and more personal. And when Jesus was crucified and after the resurrection, Jesus returned to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us personally. And verse 13 says, And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who abides in us, who lives in us, He takes up residence in our lives and He's always with us. Friends, that's the greatest thing in the world. That the Holy Spirit lives in you personally. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life, you now receive an assignment that will last for the rest of your life. It's true. Do you know what it is? And we got, all got handed the same assignment. The problem is that we will never quite complete the assignment. But we're called to give it our very best attention. Until we breathe our last breath. And the assignment is to become more and more and more and more and more and more like God's son, Jesus. And when we become more like Christ, people begin to see who God really is. No one has ever seen God, but they begin to see God in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's quite an assignment, isn't it? Conversion conversion is coming to Christ. Sanctification is becoming like Jesus. Conversion is coming to Jesus. And sanctification is becoming like Jesus. Sanctification, a word that we don't use a lot these days, but it has the growth part of the Christian life. Conversion can take place in just a blink. It is saying, yes, Lord, live in my life. I give my life to you. Sanctification is is a word that simply means, Holy Spirit, change me into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's a long-term process. It takes a, a lifetime to finish. And it takes daily commitment. 
It is walking with God in season and out of season. It is walking with God in sorrow and in joy. It is walking with God in youth and in adulthood and in our senior years. It is walking with God in our moments in the sun and our years in the shadows. Billy and Ruth Graham were, were driving some years ago uh, through a construction zone. And you know that Ruth went home to be with the Lord a few years back. But they were driving through this construction zone. It kind of looked like a parking lot. Everything had slowed down. They were inching along. And after several miles, they finally got to the other side of the construction where there was a sign that said, Construction ended. Thanks for your patience. And Ruth turned to Billy and said, That's what I want on my tombstone. Construction ended. Thanks for your patience. Don't we all want that? This process is lifelong. And wouldn't it be a good day to, to whisper in your heart to Jesus? Again today, I'm all in. I mean, I know you do that probably every day of the week. But a good day again today to say, I'm all in. I'm all in, Lord. I'm all in. It's daily. It requires effort on your part. But it's not about trying harder the effort is all directed towards one thing, and that is coming more and more under the influence of the Holy Spirit who lives in your life by faith. And as you turn more control over to the Spirit, allowing Him to lead, allowing Him to give you the words, allowing Him to reveal, and allowing Him to shape the attitudes of your heart, more and more the Spirit changes you to be like Jesus we have the Holy Spirit in our lives as proof that we live in Him and we abide in Him and He in us and He dwells in us. What a gift to us. Through all the years of life, the gift of the Holy Spirit who loves us and who encourages us and who corrects us and who directs us. And the Holy Spirit is perfecting God's love in us. Don't ever despise what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And as the Spirit says, or the, the Bible says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. But welcome the Spirit and honor the Spirit in your life. For the love of God is being perfected in your life through the Spirit of God. And God has given us His Spirit, John says, as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Isn't that good? And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Yes, when Jesus came, He pitched His tent among us. He tabernacled among us in His own body. But now we're the tabernacles. It's changed. We're the tabernacles and we are the tents we are the temples here on planet earth where God lives. So can they see God directly? No, but they look at the tents. They look at the tabernacles who inhabit the earth. And hopefully they see God. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, a famous British preacher, a century ago, had five sons. All of whom 
became ministers of the gospel. One day, a visitor in their home dared to ask a personal question. Which of you six is the best preacher? Not a good question to ask, but he asked it. And their united answer was, Mother! Mother! Of course, Mrs. Campbell Morgan had never preached a formal sermon in all of her life, but her life was a constant sermon on the love of God. She was such a woman of God who valued the enabling of the Holy Spirit in her life and who grew into such a beautiful, loving servant of God who was a great mother to five boys. And mom helped launch every one of them into ministry. She's the greatest preacher. A man standing in the greeting card section of a store was having a difficult time picking out a card. And the clerk asked if she could help. And he said, well, it's our 40th anniversary. And when we started out 40 years ago, I didn't have trouble picking out a card because back then I thought I knew what love was. But we love each other so much more today. I just can't find a card that says it. Friends, that is what the enabling Holy Spirit does in our lives. As we press further and further into the heart of our Savior, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kind, kindness, patience, long-suffering. There's a dynamic work at life, at work in our lives. We are, we are different from the first year we came to Christ, aren't we? We're different. We are growing. We are changing. We are, we are being transformed as we are shaped and molded. And we never run out of love. Why? Because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, who is love. So we have love through the Holy Spirit in our lives. There is a supernatural supply. And as you push over and allow the Holy Spirit to have more of your life, you have more love to give. And it's been that way through history. God has been loving people all through history. I mean, God, God's love has been changing the world. And He's been using Christians. You know, it's, it's easy to forget our history and all that's gone before us. Christians love and they make a difference in the world. Well, I know you might be saying, well, Pastor, you're a little bit optimistic on that one. I know all these Christians and I know they don't love. You know, and, and I, I look at the atrocities of history and I say, well, how could that ever be? And it's true. But maybe on the other hand, they were not really Christians. Or they were playing a game at it. If you extricated the love of Christians from human history, would the world be a different place? I'm convinced it would be. The world is different if you extricate the love of God's people. I know sometimes Christians get a bad rap. For example, in many places of the world, it, it was followers of Christ who built the orphanages. Right? And the hospitals. And kids in orphanages, they get it. They say, God loves me. How do you know? Well, God sent this auntie. He sent this uncle to care for me. I know God loves me. They get it that God is real because of the love of God in a Christ follower. Well, in fact, in the time when this, this book was written, 
A half of Rome were slaves. And the great Greek culture and the shining city of Athens, two-thirds of all citizens were slaves. Uh, Why? Well, because people didn't love. Children were thrown out on the trash heap, particularly the girls. And they would be taken into prostitution if they were girls. The sex trade was thriving back then, too. You'd think we'd have come a long ways, but we haven't come too far. And if they were boys, they would have been taken into slavery. It wasn't love. And there are still places in the world that people will take their own children and throw them into the river trying to appease the angry gods. I don't need to tell you that the first hundred colleges and that were built in the United States of America and some in Canada were started by Christians who loved people enough that they wanted to have people learn how to read, have a good education. Do you know that the printing press was invented by a Christian who loved us enough that he wanted us to learn to read? And the first book he printed, you know, was the Bible. Today, many of the hospitals that we have started out as Christian initiatives. We know that the YMCA is the Young Man's Christian Association. The YWCA is the Young Woman's Christian Association. God's people have been seeking to make a difference through the years with their love. Now, Christians are not perfect, a long ways from it. We stumble and we fall and we make mistakes. But we can look back and we can see that God has been using Christians throughout history to impact the world with his, with his love. But that's behind us. And God has a work for us to do. One author ends his story with a statement one character makes to another. I liked it. It said, you were sick, now you're well, and now there's work to do. You were sick, you didn't know Christ, now you're well, you've come into a relationship with him and God's love, and now there's work to do. There's a, and that's a description of every Christian's experience. Now there's work to do. God in His infinite love doesn't just save us and clean us up and then dump us. He saves us, He cleans us up, and He employs us. And we're all on assignment. I was in Phoenix yesterday and the day before, and we were attending the foundation board meetings. And at the same time attending those meetings, uh, the foundation of our conference was supporting the reunion of what we used to call God's Volunteers and New Day Singers. They were a musical group that got started in the North American Baptist Conference. And they started with a gentleman by the name of Connie Selyus, who was there yesterday. He's 88 years old. He sits at ex officio on the board, but he was also there for the reunion. And there's about 400 people who are part of these teams. They had a team every year, all through the 50s. It started in the 50s, all through the 60s. Some of you will remember it. All through the 70s and all through the 80s. I don't know if they got into the 90s, maybe early 90s, probably just into the 80s. 
And so they were all there. There were 400 invited, 250 arrived. And they were singing the music of their decade. So beautiful. And they had, they had such hearts for God. And, but I think back that God used them. They used them in the 50s. God used the God volunteers. And then it became the New Day singers. Six, 12 people on a team touring all over the place through the churches. And many of our pastors had a call from God during those days as the New Day singers came. And many people came to faith in Christ. And many leaders were developed in the local church. And it reminded me of our history that we are enabled by the Holy Spirit to take the love of God to our world, whatever decade, whatever generation, whatever genre of music. Thank you for making a difference where you live. Finally, let me include in this roadmap another dimension and simply to agree with the actor who, when she saw the big picture, said, so that's what it's all about. And that's, fourthly, the results of his love. The source of his love the demonstration of love, the implications of his love, and then the results of his love. And here's the big picture in verse 17. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Now let me just underscore a couple of words uh, just very quickly. And the first word is perfect. You should probably translate that word as maturity, yes, or completeness. As we live in God, our love becomes more complete. There's a maturity to our love. We stop the sniping. And we keep ourselves from becoming fragmented. Oh, you believe in the holiness teaching. Oh, you're a Calvinist. Oh, you're an Arminian. Uh, you, you talk about free will. You talk about separation from the world. You know, there are reasons why the body became fragmented through the years as people took their positions. But to be mature in his love is to, to hold to the core teaching of our faith with great integrity. And Dr. Page talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I haven't listened to the message, but I, I remember that somebody said that he talked about dogma. Dogma being the, the, the essentials of the gospel. That is something that we all subscribe to. And then there is another circle, concentric circle around that. And, and we, we may not all agree on those areas. They become more minute areas. Uh, and not everyone sees the same way that we do. But we, we agree on the dogma, on the basics. A brother was telling me just the other day about a situation in their very small fellowship where an individual has taken such a strong position on the understanding of gender roles and leadership that he has refused to do anything else. If we don't see eye to eye in this, he just quits. He can't get past it to see the glorious things that they have in common. And it just hurts your heart to say that we get, we get bound into that. But when we grow in Christ and in the love of God, there is completeness, there is a maturity, there is a wisdom that flows into our lives. 
And what a, what a joy to see that growth and that maturity in Christ that encourages us and builds up the body. And how do you know when the love of God is being matured in your life? And John answers the question. Can I give you one very obvious result? Confidence. Confidence. You have a confidence in your life. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. You'll note the word fear or afraid in verse 17 is the same word that we actually use a lot in our English. Phobia. That's the Greek word in verse 17, afraid or fear. And then I, I went to, to Google. I thought, let me just Google phobias. Wow, if you Google phobias, you'll come up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of phobias that exist in our world today. A phobia is a morbid fear, a crippling fear, a debilitating fear, a dread that leads people to avoid to, uh, to do whatever that fear is. And we know some of those fears. Claustrophobia. You don't like to crawl in a very small, tight, confined space. But then I found out that there's fear of the bogey, boogeyman. And there's a term here, I can hardly even pronounce it. It's fear of bald people. <laughs> Why would anybody be afraid of bald people? And then there's uh, ecclesiophobia, which is fear of church. And then there's pastorophobia, which is fear of pastors. I just made that one up. Uh, hydrophobia, fear of water. This word is actually crisis phobia. Some of you are following in the Greek out there. Fear of judgment, crisis phobia. And that's the word here in the text, verse 17. The great fear of people, for many, is the day of judgment. I had such a startling dream. Mark had never even had a chance to tell you this. We, we, were, uh, we were just about to enter into a church service. You know how dreams go. I don't know where it was. It wasn't here. I just want to say that. It wasn't here. When the police arrived, and they came to arrest... This is just a dream, okay? They came to ar arrest a man for a violent crime in his past that he had committed years ago, and he, he thought that everybody had forgotten about the crime. It was a very serious crime. But then the police came to take him away. But before he was taken away, he was given some time to just sit there with his wife. And as I watched him in my dream, he was soon overcome with fear of what was going to happen. And he began to fear what was ahead, the confinement, the way his life is now going to change, the violence in prison, the loneliness, the unknown. And he just began to sob and to shake. And he was overcome by emptiness and despair. And I woke up feeling his feelings in my dreams. Now, it was just a dream. But it helped me to understand that many have a deep phobia, a deep fear of the day of judgment. That's a frightening thing. And so... Try to avoid that fear. You try to go around it. You try not to face it. You try not to deal with it. But what are the results of the love of God in us? The fears are taken away. 
The love of God replaces them and gives us a great confidence. Confidence that we have that although we're not worthy to stand before God at the judgment, He has forgiven us and He has filled us with His life. And we no longer have to be afraid of the future because Jesus took our sins upon the cross. And we no longer need to be afraid of the past. All that we've committed in the past through the blood of Jesus, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that has been taken care of. And we no longer need to be afraid of the present because that perfect love, that complete love of God, expels all of our fears. And as we abide in Christ, as Christ lives in us, the Holy Spirit enables the love of God to fill us and there's no more room for fear. So if you're here this morning, my friend, and your heart is filled with fear, God wants to take that away. You don't need to live there. You don't need to live in fear of the judgment. And God wants to replace it with His love. So the implications of His love is that that God can be seen in us and we will be about our wonderful earthly assignment. And the results of His love is that in our hearts we carry a deep confidence, a deep confidence, a maturity, no more fear. And the love and the confidence pushes out the fear. And we live this life as God intends for us to live in harmony with Him and in joy. And as I pray uh, in closing this morning, would you just say again to the Lord that uh, you want your heart to overflow with His love? Would you just push over if you've taken too much of the seat? Would you push over a little bit this morning and yield every square inch of your life to Him? And if you do that, He'll take away your fear. He'll fill that void with His grace and His love. And He'll give you confidence so that no matter where you go and no matter what you face and no matter what the fears are in life, there will be a strength in your heart and your life that can manage all of that. Would you pray with me? So Lord, our precious Savior, thank You for demonstrating the love of the Father. And Holy Spirit, thank you for living in us every day. We so welcome your presence. Forgive us where we fail to acknowledge what a wonderful gift it is to have the third person of the Trinity living in us. Thank you for your love and thank you for your kindness. Lord, thank you for the, the mid-course corrections as well. We take it all as grace from you. And we yield, come in and overcome our weaknesses. Fill us with your love. Take the fear away. Fill us with your confidence and with your joy to walk in wonderful harmony with you. In Jesus' name, amen.